Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, overcoming stigmas, creating connection, and living with grace. This is Obstacle Course. Let's go. So John, on today's episode, we're not dealing with one person's obstacle in in particular, at least in the beginning of the conversation. We're more talking about an obstacle that our community here on Vancouver Island is being faced with really an an issue that's hitting a lot of communities in Canada and it's around the issue of homelessness and well we normally bring somebody on and and interview them about their own personal challenge which we do get into later later on much of the beginning of the conversation comes around a certain subject yeah and so Blair is the director of the YMCA um, homeless shelter in Regina and has been at the forefront of the homeless conversation in, in that province for quite a long time. And, and in fact, as you'll hear in the conversation, he, he'll talk about how they're in final negotiations right now with the government to, to perhaps even end homelessness in Saskatchewan. It's quite exciting. In fact, that's what brought Blair to town. We're not, we're not in the habit of flying down our guests from Saskatchewan to uh, come on our podcast. Blair is at a conference this week in Victoria talking about some of these issues. And uh, when we found out he was coming, uh, we jumped at the chance to get him on. But but then, yeah, the conversation does turn about halfway through when when he mentions that, you know, a lot of the homeless deal with trauma and, and that's why they're homeless. And Blair kind of alluded to some of his own trauma, which we then began to rip into a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's another note on our communities and the issue of homelessness. I find that if if our community is dealing with an obstacle as a challenge, that it really affects us all. So even if even if we ourselves or no one in our family has had to deal with homelessness, you know, we can be grateful for that. But that doesn't mean we should shy away from the topic or not treat people who are homeless with the same respect that we would treat our friends or coworkers. And I think that is what happens. So it, it can be easier for someone in a community to ignore the problem and say, well, it doesn't affect me, than to have emotions like empathy or compassion. And it's part it's adding to the issue and it's hurting people and, and damaging people's lives. And the important thing to note is that we have no idea what brought them into that situation. As you mentioned, trauma... We don't know. We can create a judgment. We can create a story about somebody and what they've had to go through. And perhaps rather than treating them with disrespect, we can bring a little more compassion. And, and I think that's something that Blair speaks really well about and has experienced doing. And he's been on the front lines and worked with people who have less fortune than, than most of us. And I think the work that he does is really inspiring and we can all learn something from. Well, and, and Blair, I've known him his whole life. Well, he's a cousin of mine, actually. <laughs> he's always been such a compassionate, empathetic person um, ever since I've known him. Um, he, he talks about in the podcast how he scored like 20 out of 20 on a recent empathy test that he took um, and probably felt bad for the people who had to create the test. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, he, he's always been empathetic and specifically towards the marginalized so towards those people that that larger society often forgets, turns their back on, judges, um, you know, puts puts their hand up and looks the other way. And Blair has a podcast as well that's based around topics that don't get discussed very much, and and much of it has to do with religion and its place in our society today. And so we do definitely get into that topic as well. Yeah, folks, we do talk about religion on this podcast, and they say don't talk about religion and politics, and both of those do come up uh, on this podcast. We're not afraid to talk about it either, uh, because those are obviously some pillars of our of our society, and uh, we get pretty open about it. Uh, Blair and I do share a background, um, both raised in a quite conservative Christian setting, and, and we do talk a little bit about that as well, and, and um, how that's played into our life. And how we've both sort of walked away from that way of life and, and the, you know, the challenges because of that. Yeah. And for you listeners, you know, we're not supposed to talk about religion or politics. 
So we're taking one for the team here. We'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. We're talking about those subjects that are supposed to be hush hush. Yeah. And the thing is, when we don't talk about something, it doesn't go away. No, no. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> yeah. Weirdly. Yeah. That monster is still under your bed. It is. And so we're bringing out, bringing it out into the forefront and we hope that you can enjoy the conversation and, and perhaps have a conversation that you have been unwilling to have. Yeah, because the reality is, is all our guests that we we ask them to be authentic and vulnerable, and that means sharing who they are. And this is part of Blair's life, so we should not hide it because it, it you know, it might be offensive to some people, or there may be some people who have been hurt by hurt by religion, um, or 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 you know, through through the choices of our political leaders. So we do talk about it, um, and it's up to all of us to make our dis- choices and personal decisions on how we relate to those topics. And we're supposed to disagree as yeah. a as a society. It shows but, we're thinking. Yeah. And just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you, you can't get along with them. Yeah, for sure. So let's all have open conversations and let's all get along, people. So why are you here anyways? I, I mean, you know, if you're listening right now and you're like, and Andrew and John must be killing it. They're flying in guests from Saskatchewan. <laughs> um, no, we, we wish we could. But Blair did fly in from Saskatchewan this morning for, for something. And mm-hmm. why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, I, uh, I work in Regina, Saskatchewan at the YMCA. And we run a homelessness program. So really it's like this federal funding for different homelessness initiatives across the city. So... There's a conference happening on housing and homelessness, affordable housing and homelessness in Victoria this week. So I was lucky enough to kind of have that opportunity to come out and I'll confess to you a little bit, like part of it is I haven't been to Victoria since I was a kid. So <laughs> yeah. I kind of put my hand up when they asked who wanted sure. to go. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're here kind of to learn a little bit, uh, do some networking that hopefully takes something back home that's going to be really helpful in the process of ending homelessness. So, so. In Victoria here, homelessness is very much on the radar. It's uh, it's a problem that a lot of people are trying to solve because it affects, obviously, those who are homeless, but also a lot of the community. And we're hoping for, for change and, and to see a more positive situation. But I'm curious if you could paint the picture for what homelessness in Regina is like. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, you know, I it's an interesting conversation that's happening right now across Canada I think but in Regina specifically uh, it's not nearly as visible as it would be in some of the bigger centers like Vancouver or Toronto those places but per capita it would be just as bad if not I would say even worse like we tried to crunch the numbers a little bit based on the numbers they found in Vancouver which they're kind of the notorious one across you always hear the stories of the opioid epidemic that's happening everywhere Mm -hmm. um but, you know, the numbers in Saskatchewan are right on par with most other centers. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's not quite as visible. There's still people on the streets. We did a an actual count of homelessness, like a one-night count of homelessness uh, last spring. And there was 286 people. So I don't know if that sounds like a big number. I, I You know, it depends on what your context is, I guess. But, that you know, remember, that's not like that's how many homeless people there are in Regina. No. That was it one night in the yeah. span of four hours. That's how many were found. Mm-hmm. So, you know, homelessness is kind of... The, the people have the caricature of what homelessness is. The, the guy in the street corner, the guy panhandling. But really, it's so much more than that. It's like sleeping on your friend's couch because you don't have anywhere else to go. It's being kicked out of your family home. It's... Uh, domestic violence it's all these sorts of things that take place that if if you don't have a home a place to call your own you're homeless right so it's it's something that i feel like is getting a little more attention these days especially as things like addiction and mental health play into the conversation those are big drivers of homelessness and um, yeah we're just kind of trying to plug away i guess as quickly as we can because we i always struggle with that like line between I don't want to be defeatist, but I also want to paint a real picture. Like it's yeah, a, yeah. it's a very broken system right now. And there's a lot of people falling through the cracks, but there is real hope. Like there is a solution. There is a way to end homelessness. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at. That's, that's why I came to Victoria to kind of hopefully help with some of that. 
Well, you know, in, in listening to what you were saying about, you know, they, they did the count, it was 286. And I could I could see how you were thinking people might be like, well, that's not that many. Sure, you know? sure. Right, especially when you led with Vancouver or a place like that. Well, part of that, too, is just the practicality of it's difficult to be homeless all year in Regina, Saskatchewan. Yeah. And I mean, it's I, I can't imagine, in fact, how, how that would work. How, how if, if there was the same numbers in Vancouver as or in Regina, I mean, I, I don't know how many people would make it through the year. In a, in a city that gets me minus 40. I remember I, I lived in Weyburn, Saskatchewan for 12 years. I remember it's, it's brutal. And so I think part of it too is, you know, in Victoria and Vancouver, um, you know, you can conceivably be homeless all year and and, it, and survive. I mean, it's sure. not, it's not a, you know, I'm not trying to paint a, a pretty no, picture. No. I just I, mean, I it's, yeah. you can. And so I, I'm sure that's, that plays into it. And so I, I'm sure that changes the stakes a bit too. Mm-hmm. Like, is there, you know, one of my questions I was wondering when when you were talking was, like, are are those are those people on the streets in like January? Like, they they don't have a they don't have a shelter. Like, are they legitimately on the streets? Uh, a handful of them, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. people that we found in tents and alleys, and oh. even one guy. I think about two years ago, there was a story in the news because he had found an empty dumpster behind a bar, oh. and he had set up his home there. And oh. so you're right. Like this winter, it was probably one of the coldest winters I can remember in a long time where we had like weeks straight of minus 40 with wind chill. And, you know, like I said, there's not a ton of street homelessness in Regina. So there are strategies in place where if somebody calls for help, then they'll do whatever they can to help them. They're not going to just leave them on the street overnight. They'll get them a safe place. Even if that means going to stay in the detox center, even if they're not an addict or going to stay in a jail cell, you know, if the shelters are full, Obviously, that's not ideal. That's not what we want. But it's it's a way to at least ensure people aren't dying on the streets. Because mm-hmm. that's we hear those stories every single year mm-hmm. from our partners, from the mm-hmm. people who are working on the front lines doing that work. They know people who are dying in the cold, and so it's a it's a real issue. And there's stories of people who come out west too. Like it's pretty common because of the weather. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It doesn't make it like easy to be homeless and homeless and BC. No, no, it's still a huge issue. But yeah. that was a big conversation actually in Saskatchewan because there was this story, big story that blew up about our social services just shipping two guys off to BC because they didn't want to deal with them or pay for their their funding to stay in a shelter. And mm-hmm. like the system is just really broken. So, what does your day to day role look like? What, what, what kind of work do you do on a regular basis? Sure. So John, John always jokes about me selling myself short, but really I feel like I'm kind of the pencil pusher in the equation. So we do a lot of the paperwork and um, partnership stuff. So our, our funding comes from the federal government and they connect us with, with the resources basically to set the conversation in Regina. So instead of just kind of haphazardly throwing money at various problems, they want someone to kind of make a strategy. So we have like a community board that makes funding decisions and various groups will put in applications for money. And we kind of try to strategically move homelessness to a point where the problem is getting better rather than worse. So yeah, a lot of what I do is that right now we're working on a plan to end homelessness. So I do the communication stuff. So I'm running a Facebook page and putting out press releases, those kind of things. I always like to point to the people who are doing the frontline work because uh, I've done it before. I, I did it for a few years before this job and it's, it's, it's beautiful work. It's really good, but it is tiring. It is exhausting, mm-hmm. especially when there aren't the resources in place to actually care for people the way that you're supposed to, or you want to. So uh, they're the ones that are, I, I would say just, really loving on people, caring for them, making sure they survive another day. So yeah, it's, it's fun. It's a fun thing to be a part of fun is the wrong word. (laughs) It's a, it's an important thing to be a part of something that I, I, something you believe in. It's something I believe in. I'm passionate about. I have fun doing it because Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's good to do the thing you love. So Mm -hmm. I would love to get to a day where I work myself out of a job where Mm -hmm. you don't need somebody to do this because the systems are already in place to take care of people the way they should be. Mm Uh, that's all feels like a little bit of a pipe dream at this point, but, uh, that's what we're working towards. So, yeah, I'm curious what's involved in that plan to end homelessness. Hmm. 
Well, I can't say too much because it's actually not released yet. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so that it's going to be coming out in the next We month, want the actually. exclusive story, there, there. Blair. Come on, that was part of the agreement if well, you're coming I, on today. Yeah, yeah. I guess this probably won't come out before that anyways. Yeah. But, uh, oh, well, stay tuned. Yeah, well, you know, really, it's I, I can speak to it, though, like just not yeah. too many specifics. There's It's going to be like a real concrete financial ask uh, and mm-hmm. not even just financial, but just like there's going to be a role for everyone to play. So we're right now, the situation is we, we handle federal funds. And so we've kind of compiled this group of community leaders, including uh, like provincial ministers and nonprofit leaders, private business leaders around a table to kind of help us in this mm. process. And so we want to give them a plan they can get behind and believe in and back. You know, we could make our own plan that's kind of like our hippie agenda, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they'll just tell us to take a hike, you know, because right. I feel like that's sort of what's been happening for years. Mm. Uh, but we actually we've ha- we've had this year year and a half almost long process of getting these collaborators at the table who you know it, it's maybe not as ambitious as I would like but it's definitely pointing us in the right direction so it's going to ask we have this federal funding that's coming in that we're handling right now I can safely say that the province isn't doing as much as I would like uh, they need to do more they should be doing more our social assistance rates are really poor. Like the people are falling through the cracks every day. So we're asking the province to do more. We're asking private businesses, landlords to, to come and be part of the solution. And even just community groups, churches, faith groups, um, things like that. There's a role for them to play in volunteering, donating money and time and just having the conversations around the dinner table. So a lot of it's going to be that the very practical stuff like, hey, we need buildings to house people in. So right now there's a big vacancy rate in Regina, but the rent is too high. Like we had an oil boom back in 2008 and Mm -hmm. then everything kind of tanked in the last five years, Mm. but the rent has never really come down at all. So people are still not able to, to rent a place that's affordable. So this plan is going to ask for places that are affordable, uh, and, and and we just need more workers, more people on the front lines who can actually like once we house somebody, we can actually support them. That's a big philosophy that we have is if you just house someone and then walk away, there, there's some people that can handle that. But a lot of them might end up back on the streets because to live in a home is that's a foreign thing for someone Absolutely. who's been homeless yeah. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're not capable. It's not that they're not able to do it. It's just they need that extra little bit of a leg up to to make it. So. We want to try to make sure that that's there. But with our limited resources right now, it feels like we're we're trying to scoop water out of the ocean. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's sort of what it feels like. So yeah, for sure. We're, yeah, that's kind of what's going to be in the plan. Just some very concrete things, tangible ways for everyone to get involved. Now, the government can still tell us to fuck off at the end of it, you know, yeah, if they want to. Um, for sure. They're good at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've heard that a few times. Yeah. So, uh I don't really know how it's going to go. Like we, it's a lot of work and energy has been put into it. So we're really hopeful, but uh, we'll just have to play it by ear and see. The reality though, is we want to get the plan done and then released and then just get to work. Cause I think it gives us at least a roadmap moving forward. Whereas before kind of felt like shooting darts at a moving target. Cause we didn't really have the strategy to get there. So what do you say to the people who say, don't these people just get jobs? Hmm yeah right yeah so what do i think or what do i say (laughs) (laughs) tell me both (laughs) yeah well it's honestly i I am actually candidly please (laughs) sure well it's definitely a myth in my mind like it's 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 a wrong assumption that you're making about the people that are dealing with homelessness now some people come by that honestly and genuinely so i don't want to disparage people who have that feeling necessarily because if you don't know any different, you don't know until you know, right? So um, I try not to be antagonistic to that as long as they're not like jumping on a platform and calling down the good work that's being done. Like we don't need to help them. You know, they're, right. you know, there's all those things that you, like you just said. So, they brought this on themselves, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. But the reality is like yeah. homelessness is rooted in trauma. There's like this brilliant doctor. I think he works out of Vancouver named yeah. Gabor Mate. Yeah. I think we talked about this. We before, did. He's a genius. Brilliant guy. And so he talks a lot about addictions. So not specifically homelessness, but addictions. And But he does work with a lot of homeless clients. And so he just talks about trauma being kind of at the root of their struggles. 
Now, I, I have trauma in my life and I'm not homeless. So, you know, people mm-hmm. could say that. But the difference is I have a, a huge round of family support around me that can get me through that trauma. And a lot of people don't have that. A lot of times the reason people are homeless is because they don't have that family support. Mm-hmm. Another big issue is indigenous homelessness right now. That's the count that we had. 80% of those 286 people were indigenous. Oh, yeah. And only they're only 8% of our population in Regina. Wow. So there's something yeah. going on there. And it's not because indigenous people aren't capable of staying housed, right? right. It's not because they're inferior to us whiteies, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I say that a little tongue in cheek, but like, no, it's, I, I feel like that actually needs to be said because yeah. there's people who, whether they'll verbalize that or not, it's kind of this unconscious mindset that we yeah, have. Absolutely. So, but there's, there's trauma, right? There's residential schools, there's the 60s scoop, there's all these things that have completely tried to destroy indigenous culture and... Now we say, well, why can't you just get over it? Well, the last residential school closed 20 years ago. So like, we're not talking ancient history here. This is, this is current history. Like they're still fighting court battles to get compensated for the trauma they've been through at the hands of the government. So, you know, I don't want to get on my pedestal here, but. uh, Hey, this is your pedestal. Yeah, that's why you're here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I guess maybe I do want to get out then, but. (laughs) No, I, I appreciate Mm -hmm. what you're saying and, and the, the emotion that that you're presenting it with. And and we we encourage mm-hmm. people to to be able to feel sure. welcome to speak their minds. Well, and and it, this is not just a job for you. Mm-hmm. I, it seems like this, like you said, you're passionate about it. You believe. It. I thought that was one of the more beautiful things you said earlier, Blair. Is you said, "I'm passionate about it. And I believe in it. I have fun doing it." But yet, it's such a terrible, devastating, traumatic mm-hmm. thing. That 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 sort of yin and yang or whatever sure, they sure. say is, is such a. Yeah, it's something worth meditating on, actually. Mm-hmm. That, that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's a weird, weird dichotomy for sure. So, yeah. so I, like to your question, like I, what would I say to people? I would say try to give people a little more benefit of the doubt. Like understand where they came from. Yeah. This idea of trauma. Yes, we've all had trauma, but it impacts us all differently depending on the level of support we have in our life. And so there's actually a brilliant, there's a filmmaker in Victoria named, I think her name's Krista Loughton. Uh, she made an amazing documentary called Us and Them. Yeah, I saw and, it. Did it, you see it? It's amazing. Oh, they screened it in Duncan. It is amazing. We'll link that in the show notes, everyone. You need to watch that. Yeah, yeah. It's very powerful. Yeah. I think you can buy it online. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible. And like she follows four homeless yeah. people in Victoria and yeah. just walks with them over the oh. course of like 10 years. Like it's pretty remarkable it the, the time investment that she put yeah. into this. and. It's you can't watch that and no. tell me that these are just inferior people who no. don't you know like these are people with a heart and a soul yeah. and they they deserve the dignity and respect that we all expect you know in our daily lives. Well, so. one of the questions you might ask those people we're talking about is how many homeless people do you know? Mm-hmm. And usually it's well, I don't know any. Why would I talk to them? You yeah, know, they're scary. They're dangerous. They're violent. Um, you know, they're unpredictable, which is probably a big part of it. And we fear the things we don't understand. Mm-hmm. As we know, I think we learned that from Batman. Was that? <laughs> anyways, but it's 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 true. Yeah. And and so people people do that. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want to learn. They don't want to hear. They just want to keep the stereotype in their mind and and live according to that narrative. Sure. And so once you get to know, and and you would do a wonderful thing at Christmas time, which which helps with this. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. With okay. the with you. the yeah with the Regina. Um, homeless, uh, was it called homeless partners? Yeah, Christmas wish list. I think we call it such right? such a good idea. Yeah. So why don't you explain what that's all about? Yeah, sure. Because um, it addresses you know getting to know people. Mm-hmm. Back when I was working at a, a local church, there's this program that came out of. Did it come out of Vancouver or Calgary? Uh, it was Calgary. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of was started in a few other cities, but it came across our radar, and we decided to start it. And really, the idea is like to to humanize homeless people yeah or people who are in poverty we we've kind of adapted it to people in poverty because the the street homelessness wasn't as visible in regina so it's people right from you know poverty walks of life some of them homelessness so yeah so really what you do is you interview the person you get to know them you mm-hmm. ask as much as you can like hey what do you like to do tell us you know whatever you're comfortable with obviously mm-hmm. you know but tell us about yourself and your family and where you came from and mm-hmm what do you want to do in your future? You know, cause yeah. believe it or not, people who are homeless, like have hopes and dreams, you know, yeah. just yeah. quite often they're pretty shattered and they don't expect them to come true because mm. no one gives them the time of day. So 
Anyway, so yeah, you interview them and then you post their stories on a website with a unique identifier. And the key piece being you ask them here, what are some things you want for Christmas? Then people can go and read their story and be touched by it, be impacted. Like, hey, this is someone I can connect with because they mm-hmm. like the same music I do or the same football team or mm-hmm. or because mm-hmm. this is a mom with three kids and it's heartbreaking that she's dealing with this, you know. And then they can just click on the gift and pledge it and then there's a drop-off location and... It's remarkable. Like every year there's just beautiful, beautiful stories. And I was pretty involved with it a while ago and I've sort of stepped away in the last couple of years, but uh, it's, they're doing great work. It remains to me one of the most practical ways to to eliminate some of those stereotypes. I I was involved in Calgary uh, with it about 12 years ago and we interviewed hundreds of people uh, back in the, you know, homeless boom, I guess is a bad way to say it, but it was, it was very prevalent at that time. And what shocked me was how many people asked for work boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like that's that's the one, because you, you, so we were like, you have to pick one thing, mm-hmm. right? And you expect everyone to be like, a new Xbox or sure, you know, sure. a laptop or blah, blah, blah. Work boots. Yeah. It's like, why, why would you like work boots? You know, you're mm-hmm. wanting them to, to you know, share why. And they're just like, then I, then I can get a job. I really want to be working. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to be not working. And, and I can't get this job working in the trades if I don't have steel toe work boots. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, that's all they, like, they just need steel toe work yeah. boots. Now, that's not true for everybody. But sure. but the fact that they asked for that was just amazing. And then the stats on the working poor blew mm-hmm. my mind. Yeah, it's unreal. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like 20%. It was like over 50%. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, like 70% of them were just you know, the working poor, like they had jobs, but they couldn't afford the houses yeah, yeah. like you were describing in Regina. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many, it's a multifaceted conversation. It's not like, go go get a job. Well, they do have a job. Mm-hmm. Actually, some of them do have a job. Um, and so it just, it for me, it really changed a lot of those preconceptions. Sure. You know, and yeah, I was a relatively yeah. nice, educated, you know, warm-hearted person, but we hear these, we read them online and they just sort of descend on our minds and mm-hmm. we don't we don't have checks and balances but when we interview people and and get the get the facts then um we're able to change yeah yeah fully well and i think like like homeless people already have a voice they already have dignity it's just so many of us have been trained not to listen right mm-hmm. not to pay. and like i you know i don't i'm certainly not trying to present myself as look at me i work in homelessness <laughs> you know i'm so great because like i had a lot of those preconceptions yeah, of and course stuff too like we yeah. all do right mm-hmm. It's, it's not to beat people over the head and make them feel guilty. It's just once you know, you got to kind of choose to act differently, right? And, exactly. And yeah, the the part about once you know, I think, is key. So, we, I mean, we're even kind of throwing negative stereotypes around about people who, we who are, aren't yeah. kind sure. to homeless Sorry, people. Sorry, everybody. If you're feeling judged, <laughs> that's not our, that's not our well, intention. Well, I mean, it's, it's so easy to paint a picture in our own minds and, and then make that into reality. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's that, true. that is how we have survived. That's how... We protect ourselves in certain situations is, is we create a narrative and, and then we believe that narrative because that's the narrative that we have in our heads. Absolutely. So I think in terms of what, what we're really talking about is we want people to treat one another with respect. Mm-hmm. And someone who we see on the street or using drugs, rather than think, you know, that person must have made all the wrong choices or something even more negative once you start to understand what if you even had a glimpse of what that person has been through mm-hmm. it's unlikely that you'll think of them with negative judgments yeah, sure. but with compassion and empathy so i'm curious i i think empathy is is a big key to this and if mm-hmm. if there were more empathy there would probably be less homelessness mm-hmm. in all reality so i'm curious how people how we could encourage the development of more empathy or, or what creates empathy? It's hmm. a good question. That is a good question, right? Yeah. I mean, my first thought I think is my first thought would be just getting to know people like, mm-hmm. like step outside your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, don't walk past the next homeless person you see. Like you don't have to save them. Like everyone doesn't have to suddenly be a social worker to, to solve this problem, but no. just talk to them, just say, Hi you know how are you you don't even have to give them money if you don't feel comfortable with that you know just just acknowledge their humanity ask them what their name is introduce yourself you know see if they want a coffee if you can do that little Mm -hmm. things like that i think can make all the difference in the world and you're going to run into some people with addictions and mental health problems and you know it's it's okay to be safe like i'm safe Our, our projects that we fund like we 
they usually go two at a time to a person's house to be safe. So it's not, Mm -hmm. this isn't to judge people for those kind of decisions, right? It's just, if you, if you can take the opportunity to step outside of yourself a little bit, I think that's when you see a different picture. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of examples. It's not just homelessness, right? That's anything almost in a way, whether it's, you're talking about religious stuff or political stuff, it's getting to know someone on the other side or someone who you think you have pegged. But, you know, I, th- I think another one, Blair, is, is I can imagine some listeners thinking, oh, man, like I, I could never <laughs> I could never say hello to, you know, I, I, sure. I, I actually cross the street because I'm, I'm frightened and, and mm-hmm. I don't want to be frightened, but I'm frightened. I'm sorry. So perhaps another thing they could start with, if that's a bit too, too much, is this documentary we're just talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Us and Them. They can watch this. Definitely. They can watch these four stories play out, see these people for who they are and for who they're not be touched by it as I was I mean there wasn't a dry eye in the place in Duncan and we had a huge problem in Duncan it wasn't a dry eye in the place and, and everybody was motivated by that to, to let's let's continue this conversation or you know where can I where can I give money some people you know if they don't have time you know you have money money will help be you know solve some of these oh, problems totally. it's yeah. not just a money problem obviously but yeah. but it can help so there's all different ways to show empathy or to gain empathy um, but just, I think, being exposed to the reality mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to feel the vulnerability yeah. and, and get past the judgment can allow you to begin to move on. And then maybe one day you do find yourself saying, oh, hey, man, what, what's up? Yeah. You know, it's one step amazing time, weather. Right? Finally, all the snow melted. That's great. And then you just have a nice human conversation mm-hmm. and you might surprise yourself. And I like the idea of just starting by making eye, to- eye contact and mm-hmm. saying hello smile yeah. right and and that could actually make a difference i think it's it's sad how much just people go around walk by one another on the street with their head down don't make any eye contact mm-hmm. you go you go past another person who who knows how much you have in common with them at least like 99% of your dna you know sure. you yeah. got that in common to start with and probably a lot more but if it sounds extreme to to walk up to a homeless person on the street and and offer them a cup of coffee bill perhaps starting by just the next person you pass on the street say hello yeah yeah and absolutely and i find myself forcing myself to do that and when you pass a complete stranger and say hello or you hold a door open for somebody and they say thank you it's a really nice feeling i think that that sense of human connection is lacking in our society that's supposed to be you know developing and and growing Mm -hmm. and and evolving in a positive way but the lack of connection is it's sad mm-hmm. and i think by doing simple things taking simple action like looking somebody in the eye and saying hello and then saying hello to a homeless person making eye contact with them it, it treats them like they're they're a human as well mm-hmm. it can if you could imagine for just a second being homeless one and then having a thousand people walk by on the walk right past you on the street and not a single person even has the decency to look down and yeah. and say hello or good morning. I can't imagine how low you would feel in that situation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's important too to remember, like this is, won't always be an angelic experience. <laughs> Sometimes no. they might tell you to fuck off, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you also got to remember that, like yeah. the, the all the people that have walked past them. So for someone to do that can be jarring for them too, mm-hmm. and they might question your motivations. But then you see that same person say hello again you know like one step at a time you know don't be frightened off by negative experiences try keep trying you know whatever you can do wherever you can do it yeah i mean don't allow one experience to paint a picture for everyone else i mean we have words for that right Mm -hmm. stereotyping racism i mean that's that's how all that's developed is you have one experience and you're like they're they're all like that you say things like that oh those people they're all like that no i mean that's that's that doesn't even ring true you know, you said something early on, Blair, that uh, did not escape my attention. So <laughs> I wanted to bring it up. You, you said, you know, a lot of this is rooted in trauma, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, uh, on the obstacle course, we, we talk about, you know, overcoming our, our, our biggest obstacles. And it sounds like with the homeless question, a lot of it has to do with, you know, talking about the trauma and helping overcome that. And then there's all these other things you brought up as well. My question is, how does someone like yourself who has his own trauma, which which hopefully you'll share a little bit about, work in trauma. Hmm. I mean, how can you 
get over that? I mean, it might be easy to think, oh man, you know, the, the people who work with the homeless or, or in social work, you know, they got their, they got everything together. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're basically Buddhist meditators who are just, you know, <laughs> are Zen about everything and they just don't react to any of it because it's not, not real anyways, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not true. You're a human being full of emotion, full of your own challenges and trauma. Um, maybe you could share a little bit um, about what that looks like in your life and how you're able to still, you know, use that to, to reach out and help aid other people in their own trauma. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, like as a kid, I was always very emotional. Like I've always kind of had this about me that just kind of, I, I just feel really strongly. Mm-hmm. I actually had this conversation with a good friend just a couple of weeks ago. They sent me this quiz like, hey, they just, they encouraged me because I was like really down just feeling this, the weight of the world, you know? Yeah. And they sent me this quiz like, it's not necessarily a mental disorder or anything. It's It was just like a are you a highly sensitive person? Mm -hmm. And so I had this list of questions like, do you anticipate people's needs before they, you know, those kind of things. Um, Are are they called empaths? I don't remember if they use that language or not, but it sounds similar, but like I I scored like a 20 out of 20 or something like that. (laughs) So, I mean, that's just kind of, I think that's part of the reason, which doesn't mean I'm like such a compassionate, I can be an asshole too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, but I do feel very strongly and, the the connection I have is usually to people that are on the margins Mm -hmm. and the trauma in my life has actually been I don't know I don't want to downplay it like everybody has legitimate trauma and mine is you know I feel I think about all these people and homelessness and they'd listen to my trauma and kind of laugh they wouldn't because everybody that's what that us and them documentary talks about right absolutely everybody has their own trauma and has to deal with it I, you know, it's, I'm trying to think of how to answer your question. I don't know if I have a good answer because I feel like I, there's some days where I still get up and I don't know if if I've dealt enough with my own trauma to be able to cope with helping other people with theirs. I I know you you feel like you're seeming hesitant because I think you you sort of feel like, who am I to come on a podcast (laughs) and talk about how difficult my life is when, when the people you see in a daily basis, but you know what the listeners Mm -hmm. listening they'll I think they'll identify with with yours in a way that you're afraid you might be judged by say some of the homeless people no I you know the trauma in my life like I've dealt with depression probably about 10 years ago I kind of came to this realization that things weren't okay you know it it kind of was as simple as that but it, it had been building for a few years where I think I probably even had it when I was like a teenager, but I didn't really understand it until I hit about 10 years ago because it just got to a point where every day was, it was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to not either be ridiculously sad or ridiculously angry Mm -hmm. (laughs) one or the other. I, I had no real concept of how to deal with those emotions. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of shut myself off from everyone. All my closest friends, like I kind of put a wall up and mm-hmm. would maybe be able to like fake it a little bit. But right. it got to the point where I had friends who were telling me like, what's going on, man? <laughs> and ultimately my wife, who has always been like my biggest champion, you know, she's she stood beside me when I was in my darkest times. And mm-hmm. it's... Yeah, she's she kind of basically pushed me to the point where she said, "You got to go go see a doctor. You got to talk to someone about this. You, you can't go like this anymore." Because I I had probably about two years where I just wasn't sleeping, I wasn't coping, I was working with kids, trying to help them with their own stuff, and I couldn't even like I couldn't I could barely function. That's like an example of what I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. But it's that that kind of changed, you know. And it's it, what I talk when I talk about the lack of trauma in my life. I, I, at the time, one of the things I really wrestled with was how could I be depressed? Like I haven't really had that much bad stuff happen to me. You know, when I was younger, like my dad had a bad accident, like he got smoked on the head and he was out of commission for quite a while. And that, you know, that was challenging, you know, and it's stupid to compare traumas. Right. But that's Mm -hmm. what we all do to a certain extent. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, I had a good life. I had a supportive family. I was, we were never rich, but we were never without, you know. So for so long, I just was like, well, I can't be depressed because everything's good, you know. And that's one of the worst things that people think when they're dealing with depression. Or one of the worst things that people say to people dealing with depression is like, why would you be depressed, you know. 
you have all this good stuff going. And so, you know, I don't know where, where it came from, but I've been trying to fight this a little bit for the last, I've been trying to fight this for the last 10 years um, with varying degrees of success. You know, mm -hmm. I had my last really bad bout probably around Christmas time last year. I had to write a note to my family after Christmas saying, sorry guys, mm -hmm. <laughs> I wasn't there. This was probably my worst week I have had in a couple of years, you know, and I don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know what set it off. It could be connected to the holidays or whatever, but. I'm wondering if that experience with those emotions and, mm -hmm. and with depression provides some of that connection and, and understanding and, and perhaps empathy for people on the margins in a, in a difficult situation. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it's another interesting thing that ties into this whole depression empathy narrative is growing up in a religious family too like i what attracted me to jesus as a kid was like that was him right that's what he did he cared for those people and i've always kind of carried that through my life um whether i'd call myself a christian today or not i don't really know but sometimes it was it was really hard to determine what was depression and what was like a faith crisis you know because i was going through kind of both at the same time and one sort of seemed to feed the other which one started it i don't really know uh but yeah like i definitely say that i've always kind of had that that empathy that strong passion to help people uh even before i had you know was dealing with my depression and it kind of was rooted in that uh the faith and it was but it just kind of like it it definitely oh sorry i feel like i'm rambling here no you're hitting <clears throat> the mark man yeah just it was rooted in that faith but i feel like as i as i sort of kept growing up and started dealing with things like depression and adulthood and trying to cope and support kids in the family all those sort of things I think it's definitely impacted the work that I do in terms of connecting and relating to people on a deeper level. I mean, I, I don't know how to not do that in a way. It's, I don't know. I envy people who, yeah, I don't know. I envy people who can't, who don't feel so strongly all the time. It's frustrating mm -hmm. in a way, but it, I know it's a good thing. I know it's a gift. And that's that quiz I was talking about before that my friend sent me. That was what the point he was trying to make. Like, Hey, this is a gift, you know, use it well but take care of yourself better so it doesn't sink you so fast. Yeah. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, it makes total sense, man. Yeah. And and what, what I was thinking about was, you know, going back to your your faith crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, being raised in a in a conservative religious household and I was I was as well and one day I'll talk about what that was like for me, but I, f I fully understand what you're saying. And and when that lens or framework of the world begins to crumble, or, or change, then all of a sudden this foundation mm -hmm. you had to understand the world and understand why did, why you do things is gone mm -hmm. and, and you have to begin to rebuild it somehow. And that, that is a very traumatic time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is uh that brings on all kinds of things. I had some very dark years doing, you know, going through the same. So I hear what you're saying, but what I love is you've stayed in the game <laughs> Right. I mean, I think a lot of people going through a thing where, where they they see their faith crumble, um, but they still have this this twenty out of twenty empathy sure, in their sure. heart for all these people. But you're like, but but if I, you know, if if the church isn't doing its job, if the church isn't even helping, then who is helping? You know, mm -hmm. and you just have this crisis that you're dealing with. Um, the fact that you've kept moving forward and f continued to reinvent yourself and find ways to continue to reach out and connect with people, I think is, is so exemplary huh. and, uh, and, and such an example to all of us. And, and so I think that's why I say you're too hard on yourself because <laughs> yeah. you've done some tremendous deep work that takes tremendous courage, motivation, will. Um, and so stop being hard on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I carry a lot of good things from that religious upbringing. Yeah. Like that's uh, where that empathy comes from, that sure. love of people. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, you, I also carry a lot of the bad baggage too, the shame, the, of course. <laughs> you know, the self guilt, judgment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's sort of where a lot of that plays into. And part of the reason why I might find it hard to answer this question or connect the dots a little bit because mm -hmm. everything just feels a little bit enmeshed. You know, like the depression, the absolutely the way I see the world, the way I view people and humanity is all kind of just feels like it's one jumbled mess some days but the further down this path i went the more i realized this north american 
Christianity that I grew up with isn't actually the answer in my mind. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's all lost. Uh, is mm-hmm. it redeemable? Some some of it, yes. Most of it, I don't think so. <laughs> feels like it's just kind of this jumbled mess. The Jesus that gave me this empathy and this passion to work with the marginalized is not the Jesus I see mm-hmm. in a lot of churches. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'll clarify by saying it is the Jesus I see in a lot of individual Christians. Mm-hmm. But the church you hear about in the news, the church you, mm-hmm. you see protesting yeah. abortion clinics and mm-hmm. just treating people like trash really mm-hmm. as part of the out group you know that's that's what i've come to reject and stand strongly against and so it definitely you know it's informed my worldview in terms of in both positive and negative ways you know that i've had to kind of that i do definitely bring into my work and how i interact and engage with people mm-hmm. you speak of the the redeemable qualities <laughs> and and then also the corruption is that's really corrupted your view of christianity or organized religion how might that redemption happen Hmm. i don't know if i have an answer if enough people stand up for what's good and right now we have to start agreeing on what's good and right that's the biggest Mm -hmm. challenge i think Mm -hmm. because i mean i don't understand how the church can be that be what I think it's supposed to be while it still is rejecting gay people. Right. While it's still, yeah, it's just, it just feels like it's an exclusionary place right now. And I, you know, so it needs to be more inclusionary. It needs to be less judgmental, get away from that kind of stuff. Uh, I think I, I do have hope that it's possible. I don't think I would still be talking about it or caring if I didn't, I would have just walked away a long time ago and thrown Jesus out with it because then why would you bother? But yeah. I, I do think there's something redeemable there. It's just, it's got to be something new. And it's it certainly doesn't look like what it looks like well, in North America. And I do, compel, I do feel compelled to say that there are churches out there doing just oh, this. Yeah. Right? Many yeah. churches doing just this. And like you said, there are Christians out there, beautiful, wonderful people. And we don't want to say that, you know, all elements of Christianity and organized religion should be burned to the ground. Not by any means, no, no. but there are parts that definitely need to be. Yeah. And separating that is the challenge for this age. Yeah. But but there, there's churches, you know, even Duncan United Church, I don't mind saying them. They the, What they do for the community and, and, and the way they accept, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You are accepted, you're fed, you're, you know, you're loved, you're embraced. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, that church helped me you know, not throw out the church with the, with the sure. holy water, so to speak. Yeah, that yeah. Weird analogy. <laughs> yeah. um, it made me realize that th- there is still some hope there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, I yeah. mean, my brother's a pastor. My entire Absolutely. family is Christian. So it makes it challenging. <laughs> it, it is. It's interesting. You know, my parents are amazing people. Like, so don't Absolutely. like, don't please don't get this view that I no. hate Christians. because They're yeah. the best people I know, you know, some of the best people I know. Yeah. So it's it's just this challenge of like trying to be what you want to be, what you think you should be as a as an individual, as a person. But it's really hard to identify with this group that is not in that realm, you know. So it, I don't well, know. That's kind of an ongoing battle. It seems like we've come to a place where the values that people that maybe Christianity was created through and that that are in the Bible, the the morals and values that are right there from the beginning have kind of become separated from a lot of the actions that that we see from different groups and fundamentalists and there's a lack of alignment there when if you just look at the the true values at their core are are really positive and are full of the empathy and respect and love that that we we could really use more of so i'm wondering if there was a a single value that you think would benefit our communities as a whole if we were to see more of what what would that be first thing that comes to mind would be just the idea the concept of grace now i say this and i feel like i i'm not a very graceful person because i don't really have a lot of grace for the people that uh see things differently than i do but that's always been the concept in faith that has sort of grabbed hold of me and never let go because god's grace if you believe in God, isn't fair, you know, like he, he, he puts it on the righteous and the unrighteous is what they say. Right. 
So just if we could all learn to do that in our interactions with people, if I could learn to do that with a Trump supporter, if I could learn to do that (laughs) with the person who's spouting off these terrible things about homeless people, you know, I, I wrestle with that because I think sometimes you have to call out garbage, but it's not all garbage. There's a human, just like there's a human in the homeless person, there's a human in the people that you disagree with, right? So as much as I tend to be like hypercritical of these things too, I also have to be self-reflective enough to know that I'm not really living that grace life that I think is so beautiful and actually like the way that the world should be. So that that's probably the one that stands out. You know, the idea of grace and kind of tied into that is forgiveness, you know, letting people have another chance to kind of make, make amends and figure things out. It's It's a lot messier than, you know, when it's not just a concept on paper, but it, those are two ideas I think that could really change everything in a way. So. Yeah. I mean, cause grace, the whole idea behind that is it's undeserved. Mm-hmm. We love anyways. It's easy to show grace to people you love and get along yeah, with. That's yeah. not, that's not even grace. I mean, that's just, you know, you know, basking in your, your good your relations. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but, but giving that undeserved gift sure. to, like you said, the Trump supporter, but also, you know, the homeless person um, is is revolutionary. Yeah. It feels like there's no good faith anymore between humanity. You know, like mm-hmm. you're on that side, I'm on this side. Yeah, for sure. If you do something good, I'm not going to acknowledge it because it hurts my position. You know, that that's kind of the way. Yeah. And I confess, like, that's me too a lot of times. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of trying to step out of that mindset and just into a more human-centered perspective that loves mm-hmm. people more and is mm-hmm. kinder and gentler. Mm-hmm. Love it. And that's the, that's the effect when you act with grace is that it becomes easier to use it in another situation mm-hmm. it, it, it's just a matter of practice well that yeah that's a that's a good point actually because i feel like i've gotten out of practice with that a little bit the last mm-hmm. few years it, it, it's kind of like you have to have that mindset you have to step into it and every interaction you know make a decision am i gonna <laughs> am i gonna respond out of negativity hatred mm-hmm. or am i gonna practice this and you know, I confess quite often I don't practice it very well, but, you know, it's, it's something I think that we can all keep working on. It's like any good quality in life, right? It, it's renewed every morning. Yeah, sure. So um, all of these great things we've been talking about, if you guys are like, man, this debate's been cool. It's not really a debate, but this discussion's <laughs> sure, been sure. awesome. I mean, it's not every day you hear people talking about all these multi-layered topics and issues. You're going to love Blair's podcast. <laughs> Blair Blair has a podcast with his friend Dallas um, called Shipwreck Over Safety. Yeah. And uh, Blair started it just before just before me. It's funny. It shows that we haven't kept in contact as much <laughs> as we should because here we are both yeah. both rolling out of these these podcasts really at similar times. Mm. It's and it's fantastic. He, mm. His his most recent episode is called "The White Privilege," and it's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> they talk <laughs> yeah. all about it. And why don't you talk a little bit about what led you to to start that podcast first of all, and what are some of your hopes for it, and and what listeners should expect should, should they subscribe to it, which you should, everyone. <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah, uh, my buddy Dallas and I would get together every couple of months for beers in his basement and just kind of visit, talk about stuff. We're both coming from a place where, you know, he stayed very connected to the church and faith stuff. I've sort of walked away, but still hanging on by a thread is sort of what I like to say. Mm-hmm. So I still care very deeply about this stuff. And so we would have these, what we felt like anyway, were epic conversations. You always feel like that with your friends, but then when you put it on a recording, you're like, oh, this is garbage. But <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at self-promotion. So. <laughs> no. Uh, so we were, yeah, we were having these conversations anyways, and we we really enjoyed them and were life-giving. And honestly, like a guy like Dallas is part of the reason I still hold on to these ideals mm. and have hope that there's something better out there. Uh, so we just decided, hey, let's start having these conversations because we know there's other people out there who are interested in this, who are having the same thoughts, maybe don't feel safe to have them publicly. Because what we try to do is come at everything from a very honest angle like so a lot of the things that we say we know won't sit well with some people Mm -hmm. but we're not gonna we're gonna try to be gracious although we aren't always (laughs) Uh, we're gonna be honest about our mistakes and our you know our brokenness and we're just gonna examine really tough issues like that have to do with the with the church with people humanity uh, all that kind of stuff. It's sort of all wrapped into one. You know, we have some episodes where we talk a lot about faith. We have 
you know, that white privilege one, we actually didn't talk about church very much. It was more just about society and kind of the way that our white privilege benefits us on a daily basis as two white males. Mm -hmm. And there's a large segment of people who don't even think white privilege is a thing. And so mm -hmm. we want to, we just want to have those conversations because usually it's just like stupid internet comments where people are like, white privilege doesn't exist. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and no one really like listens, right? But no, to yeah. actually have like a serious conversation where you're challenging each other. I mean, me and Dallas, really, we see eye to eye on most things. So we're not really, it's not like a debate, really. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's too much we disagree on. But our goal is just to get other people to think, you know, mm -hmm. and hopefully, you know, we've gotten some good feedback, some some negative. We have like a couple hate listeners who like listen to us and then immediately write all the things that were terrible. You know, people we love and yeah. we're, we're in relationships with, of course. Right. But, you know, so it's kind of just trying to start some of those honest conversations about faith, about justice about you know those kind of issues doubt it's okay to doubt you know like that's mm -hmm. sort of what we're trying to trying to do so yeah I, I really applaud your willingness to go there and to get into those tough subjects and speak openly and, and share your mind about them because yeah it's some people won't even want to think about that well you know I don't want to keep I don't want to have that in my head because that will bring me into a negative place and I just I don't want to go there I want to live my life and and just do the best I can. But but you're willing to lean into those conversations and topics and then share them and be opinionated and be okay with that yeah. and, and share what you feel strongly and passionately about. So I'm wondering what motivated you to create the podcast and, and when you do have those conversations, what does that give you? Hmm. Well, I think what motivated us is just you know, as, as me and Dallas were having these conversations, we're having other side conversations or, or reading other areas, you know, reading on the internet or books that we were reading, just recognizing that there's, there's a lot of people out there, both online and in our own lives. And just from our experience, like we were both youth pastors at churches. And so we know that there's a lot of people out there asking these questions that are, the church isn't always a safe place to ask these questions uh, and so we just kind of felt like well if we could provide some somewhat of a platform whether we'll get any listeners or not we didn't really know we still don't really know <laughs> i don't really check them too often because i don't want to pay too much attention to that or i don't really know how to check all the stats but you know it's but uh, so which is kind of weird because the goal is to create a community but i'm like too self-conscious to like actually deal with that kind of stuff but uh you know, anyway, so so I, I think we just decided like, hey, there, let's let's do this so that other people can join in. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, that that has happened to a small degree, not hugely yet. So we're, we're just looking to keep building and grow into as long as it's a life giving experience for us. We want to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, if it gets to a point where it's like a burden <laughs> or it feels like, hey, let's go back to the old way where it was just me and you. Like mm -hmm. if that becomes better or healthier, then we want to do that. We want to keep it. We want to be honest enough with ourselves to like all of this is a, <laughs> I don't know how you guys feel. But for me, it's like a little ego driven too. you want to like, oh, hey, yeah. I, I have good opinions. I want to share them, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's OK. That's not a bad thing. It's just kind of trying to figure out the best way to do that in a way that's sincere and honest and moving you forward so well, it's a passion project yeah right? that, exactly that's right? what we've used you know yeah. a lot you know we, we have day jobs you know it, it brings in no revenue at this point yeah, yeah. although wouldn't that be nice yeah, maybe know. as we Come as on, we sponsors. move along yeah sponsors <laughs> if you're thinking how can i support these lads even more there you go <laughs> i'm wondering i'm curious about the expression life-giving experience mm -hmm. it's one that i don't hear too often oh, okay so what must be you, a Christian expression. I was going to say, did you grow up in a church? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah, okay. um, but what does it mean to you? I, I would say just like, does it give me energy? Does it make me feel good about myself, the direction I'm headed? Does it fuel me for what I'm going to do next? You know, so if we're having a conversation that's just like making me feel super negative and down on myself or down about the world, which... Sometimes it, it can, but we always try to kind of push, steer those emotions towards hope is kind of what we try to do mm. or to. So, yeah, that's sort of what I mean by it. Like just like something that gives you the energy to keep going and to fight for something that's better. So yeah. one of the one of the things I read in, in your blog that, it, that was attached to the first podcast was you were talking about being in a bit of a dark time when, when you decided to 
choose to create the podcast and so i was wondering about the connection to it being a life-giving experience Mm. and Mm -hmm. for someone who has struggled with depression providing yourself with a life-giving experience or or knowing what the remedy might be for that perhaps the podcast is one example of of doing something you needed Mm -hmm. to do to to get yourself out of a dark time so i'm wondering if if there are any other kind of tools or or for somebody who might be listening and and maybe they don't want to start a podcast but maybe they're looking to come out of what is a dark time any advice or tools or, or resources that that they might use or that you know that you have used yeah yeah very practical things i think like I started exercising. <laughs> Sounds like such a simple thing. No, right? and I know you guys have talked about it on the podcast before yeah. too, but I've always had like this love hate relationship with my body and like feeling like, Oh man, I, I'm way overweight. I feel like garbage all the time. And so about eight months ago or so when we started this, I started exercising mm. and that felt really awesome. I started to actually like feel like a more purpose in my day and more energy to kind of move forward. And, you know, to be honest, until now, I don't know if I've ever really correlated that with the start of my podcast, but it was almost like I just got to this point where I felt like I've got to start, something's got to give. I've got to start doing something differently. So, I, you know, starting that podcast, I, I decided, okay, I'm just going to let, let's make some real changes here in my own self. So I did that um, partly because, and part of the reason to start the podcast too was just like missing that community, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not really connected to a church anymore, even though most of my friends are still connected to their own. So that, you know, that was, yeah, not everyone needs to start a podcast, right? No. But uh, the exercise thing was, has been a big thing for me. I didn't exercise all this week because I hurt my neck last weekend and I felt like garbage all week. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like I felt old habits creeping back in, that mm-hmm. old self-hatred, that yeah. like self-loathing stuff mm-hmm. kind of come in. And it, it really impacts your depression. It starts to, it gets so fast how that can swallow you back up, you know, Um if we're talking specifically about depression, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm an advocate for medication. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think everybody needs medication, but I think that it shouldn't be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It shouldn't be a, like there a shouldn't stigma be a, around yeah, it. There shouldn't be a stigma around taking a yeah. pill to, to help you with your mental health. For and sure. That was really hard for me when I started dealing with my mm-hmm. depression. I didn't tell anybody, like I, except for my wife. I didn't tell like my family or friends for probably about six months after I started because I just felt like, especially as the, the, you know, that's where I was talking about the whole Christian and church Mm -hmm. thing tied in, like just that shame of like, I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not a good enough person Mm -hmm. or I shouldn't be feeling this way because everything's good. But once, once you say it out loud, like most people are really generous and kind about it. So it just makes you realize how many other people there are dealing with it. Well, so, and Brene Brown talks all about this in all yeah. her books, right? Which I know you love her too. Mm-hmm. She talks great. all about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Once you're vulnerable, people's responses and being like, oh, yeah. what a weirdo. Yeah, but we uh, always think that, right? We, yeah, Don't we do. We? Like, we're we kind of like hold it in and we're like, oh, I must be the only one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is so stupid. But Absolutely. it's kind of the human condition. No, it's almost like people, people sigh a breath of relief because yeah. they're like, oh, so I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of listeners listening right now. They're like, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. Boy, look at all he does and all he <laughs> accomplishes. But yet, you know, he, he's open with the fact that he's he's human and he has sure. his own struggles, just like Andrew and I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And aside from that, I mean, read, read lots of stuff. Read lots of books. Go, mm-hmm. go look for. I mean, that's something actually that I felt like the last five years. I, I used to be an avid reader. Like I had a hundreds of books Mm -hmm. but then when my depression kind of sunk to its lowest biggest struggle i actually got rid of most of them and i just was like done like Mm -hmm. i I don't think i picked up a book for probably three or four years Mm -hmm. because i just the things that i was always interested in i just kind of put away and like didn't have the energy for but i've tried to kind of pick that back up over the last year or two again because i know how life-giving it can be just to get fresh perspectives get some Mm -hmm. life poured into you like you it made me think of it because you said Brene Brown, like mm-hmm. voices like that are so crucial, you oh, know, yeah. and if you're not willing to pick up a book or listen to a new podcast or, you know, re- research like some mm-hmm. new ideas, then it's probably normal that you're going to start feeling stagnant and things will start feeling negative pretty quickly. So, well, and I just want to point out like the people who don't love reading because we're not mm. as much of a reading culture anymore. One of the best substitutes I always tell people is Ted. Oh, yeah. TED, Ted Talks, Talks because classic. what it is is yeah. all every subject you can imagine every author you can imagine is on there and they've probably given a synthesized 20 minute talk 
mm-hmm. on the key ideas behind what they wrote about. So if you don't have, you know, a week <laughs> to read a book, sure, sure. which a lot of people don't, I listen to TED Talks in the morning sometimes when yeah. I'm just not feeling like, you know, maybe you didn't sleep well the night before. You're just not feeling like reading or you gave all your books away like Blair. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can. Damn you it. Can. <laughs> <laughs> TED Talks are amazing and they're free. I mean, it's, yeah. it's such an amazing resource. Or obviously there's books, you know, on online or podcasts. There's so many different ways to stay inspired. But but I, that was one of my takeaways from you is find your own way that keeps lighting that fire in you. And take action. Yeah. As, as you've shown your example of i it's so important to if you want to change your mind start changing your actions and whether that's exercise or starting a podcast we we often if we start getting into a negative mindset we're not going to be able to think our way out of that mindset Mm -hmm. because that thought pattern will probably continue in its negativity (laughs) yeah It, it it really does take some sort of positive action change a routine do something different, do what brings you a little bit of joy. And that's how those actions stack up on one another and start taking you into a a better frame of mind and just a better place in general. Yeah, for sure. I just want to say thank you as well for, for being there for people who they don't always have someone who's there for them. And I I think that's really important. And we talked earlier about connection and, and how we are lacking some connection human connection in our communities and i applaud people who stand up for that and are not willing to turn their backs or not say hello to somebody who has had great misfortune and and misfortune that nobody else really understands so thank you for doing that and supporting those people and thanks as well for being willing to share what you're passionate about and and what you find to be true and often it's coming from a place of empathy and and the desire to connect and to bring more love rather than hate or disconnect so yeah thanks for coming on and continuing to share that here yeah and blair we haven't talked in in a long time or seen each other in 12 years and so it's great (laughs) that we finally see each other while recording (laughs) get me out of here (laughs) but 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 you know what exactly let's uh, let's go grab a beer and and continue the conversation would you listeners want to know what we're talking about there (laughs) okay thanks thanks so much for coming on blair i know you just flew in and it was a tiring day so you're an inspiration sir Uh, do not sell yourself short (laughs) the work you're doing is revolutionary and life-changing thanks guys appreciate it well that's the episode thanks so much for tuning in everyone we appreciate your time and attention if we can make one request please subscribe how do you do that john they push subscribe that's all you got to do we also got social media guys we've got twitter facebook instagram please like us and follow us there we also got a really fancy website obstaclecoursepodcast.com that is the one it's where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on. Mm -hmm, For sure. We're always looking for good people. Thanks for listening. Keep pushing through those obstacles.